poets and intellectuals of this time, the innovative minds, the intelligentsia, those that are breaking down the barriers and choosing a bohemian existence, escaping from dreary suburban ideals and materialistic death traps. Where are these engaging people? The risk takers, the revolutionaries, those living apart from this big unrest, those escaping the sterility of corporate junkies who get high on materialistic consumption. Welcome to the Bohemian Beat. We will journey beyond the horizon and find the artists living on the edge, going down into the murky waters of their very existence, where these brave souls have re-emerged with art that is challenging, original and brutal. You have tuned into the Bohemian Beat. I'm Riddy, joining you for the next hour with poetry and music. And let's ease in with some music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Baby, don't dance, no romance. Feel like dancing, dance with me. with Bad Boy, Good Man. Today on The Bohemian Beat, we will start with American poet Hart Crane, who lived between 1899 and 1932. He was a member of the Lost Generation, those beautiful and tragic artists who haunted Paris and New York in the 1920s. The city, his times and impressions from incidents in his own life are found in many of his poems. He was also brightly optimistic about the modern world. He wanted his epic poem, The Bridge, to portray a mystic synthesis of America. The following piece, To Brooklyn Bridge, is from the beginning of his poem, The Bridge. To Brooklyn Bridge. How many dawns chill from his rippling rest. The seagull's wings shall dip and pivot him. Shedding white rings of tumult, building high, over the chained bay waters, liberty. Then with inviolate curve forsake our eyes, as apparitional as sails that cross some page of figures to be filed away, till elevators drop us from our day. I think of cinemas, panoramic slights with multitudes bent toward some flashing scene, never disclosed, but hastened to again, foretold to other eyes on the same screen. And thee, across the harbor, silver-paced, as though the sun took step of thee, yet left some motion ever unspent in thy stride, implicitly thy freedom staying thee. Out of some subway scuttle, cell, or loft, a bedlamite speeds to thy parapets, tilting there momently, shrill shirt ballooning, a jest falls from the speechless caravan. Down wall, from girder into street noon leaks, a rip-tooth of the sky's acetylene. All afternoon the cloud-flown derricks turn. Thy cables breathe the North Atlantic still. And obscure as that heaven of the Jews, thy guerdon, accolade thou dost bestow 
of anonymity time cannot raise, vibrant reprieve and pardon thou dost show. O harp and altar of the fury fused, how could mere toil align thy choiring strings? Terrific threshold of the prophet's pledge, prayer of pariah, and the lover's cry. Again the traffic lights that skim thy swift, unfractioned idiom, immaculate sigh of stars beating thy path, condense eternity. And we have seen night lifted in thine arms. Under thy shadow by the piers I waited. Only in darkness is thy shadow clear. The city's fiery parcels all undone. Already snow submerges an iron year. O oh, sleepless as the river under thee, vaulting the sea, the prairie's dreaming sod, unto us lowliest sometimes sweep descend, and of the curve ship lend a myth to God. Seems to disappear when you're lonely in New York. Sidewalks don't lead anywhere when you're lonely in New York. Rush hour traffic, not a soul around. The echo of your heartbeat makes the only sound. Broadway is a dead end street when you're lonely. A villa sinner doesn't rock when you're lonely in New York Central Park, just a parking lot When you're lonely in New York The lady with the torch is your one and only friend In the city that never sleeps, your nightmare never ends You train Manhattan for a string of beads when you're lonely Your nightmare never ends 
Produced at Bay FM in Byron Bay and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. We just heard Sophie Millman with Lonely in New York. And before that, to Brooklyn Bridge, a poem from the bridge by Hart Crane, read by Sam Waterston. Another poet who emerged from the bohemian setting of New York is Edna St. Vincent Millay, who lived between 1892 and 1950. In the immediate post-World War I era, Millay emerged as a major figure in the cultural life of Greenwich Village, when the village served as an incubator of every important American literary, artistic and political movement of the period. Millay's work and life came to represent the modern, liberated woman of the jazz age, free of the restrictions of the past, as represented in her famous lines of poetry, My Candle Burns at Both Ends. Her work was honoured in the 1923 The Pulitzer Prize. This next piece by Edna St. Vincent Millay is called Love Is Not All. Love is not all. Love is not all. It is not meat, nor drink, nor slumber, nor a roof against the rain, nor yet a floating spar to men that sink and rise and sink and rise and sink again. Love cannot fill the thickened lung with breath, nor clean the blood, nor set the fractured bone. Yet many a man is making friends with death, even as I speak, for lack of love alone. It well may be that in a difficult hour, pinned down by pain and moaning for release, or nagged by want past resolution's power, I might be driven to sell your love for peace or trade the memory of this night for food. It well may be. I do not think I would. to stay Now she's gone And I don't worry I am sitting on top of the world
I worked on this farm I had to take Christmas In my overalls And now she's gone And I don't worry I am sitting on top of the world Catch me a freight train You gotta leave this town Work done got too hard And now she's gone And I don't worry I am sitting on top of the world And now she's gone And I don't worry I am sitting on top of the world with Sitting on Top of the World. And before that, Edna St. Vincent Millay reading her poem, Love is Not All. Edna St. Vincent Millay's bohemian lifestyle has been compared to that of Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas, who lived between 1914 and 1953, is Wales' best-known literary figure and one of the world's most famous poets. His arrival in literary London as a precocious and prolific adolescent in the early 1930s invoked a legend that began to form around him. He lived a boozy, bohemian life in rented rooms and pubs, supported by tiny fees for poems published and the occasional book review. This next piece from Dylan Thomas, read by Richard Burton, is called Deaths and Entrances. On almost the incendiary eve of several near deaths, when one at the great least of your best loved and always known must leave lions and fires of his flying breath, of your immortal friends who'd raise the organs of the counted dust to shoot and sing your praise, one who called deepest down shall hold his peace that cannot sink or cease endlessly to his wound 
in many married London's estranging grief. On almost the incendiary eve, when at your lips and keys locking, unlocking the murdered stranger's weave, one who is most unknown, your pole star neighbour, son of another street, will dive up to his tears. He'll bathe his raining blood in the male sea who strode for your own dead and wind his globe out of your water thread and load the throats of shells with every cry since light flashed first across his thunder-clapping eyes. <laughs> the Pupini sisters with It's Not Over. And before that, a poem by Dylan Thomas called Deaths and Entrances. 
Dylan Thomas did much to popularise poetry readings in the United States as a new medium for the art. Dylan Thomas was the archetypal romantic poet of the popular American imagination. Beat poet Jack Kerouac was also inspired by the poetry readings of Dylan Thomas. This next piece by Jack Kerouac is called The Moon Her Majesty. The moon, her magic be, big sad face of infinity. An illuminated clay ball manifesting many gentlemanly remarks. She kicks a star, clouds foregather in scimitar shape to round her cradle out, upside down any old time. You can also let the moon fool you with imaginary orange balls of blazing imaginary light in fright. As eyeballs, hurt and foregathered, wink to the wince of the seeing of a little sprightly ote which projects spikes of light out the round smooth blue balloon ball full of mountains and moons deep as the ocean high as the moon low as the lowliest river lagoon fish in the tar and pull in the spar billy the bud and hanshan emperor and all wall moon gazers since Daniel McCree, Yeats Sea. Gaze at the moon ocean marking the face. In some cases, the moon is you. In any case, the moon. <laughs> Start that hocus pocus, boy. Things get out of focus. You and the way that you kiss, well, they ought to give you a try. Baby, you could make a statue come to life just looking at you. And 
And that was Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. with you and your beautiful eyes. And before that, Jack Kerouac and Steve Allen with The Moon, Her Majesty. Jack Kerouac was also influenced by E.E. E. Cummings. Edward Eslin Cummings, who lived between 1894 and 1962, shocked his critics in the beginning of the 20th century with a style all of his own. Cummings got his start writing for two newsletters at Harvard and later published several books of poetry, paintings and drawings. Even though the critics remain in two separate camps on his poetry, there is no denying the impact he has had as a modernist, encouraging later poets to write what they feel regardless of the so-called rules. E.E. E. Cummings' visual style, command of vocabulary and innovation made him one of the most influential poets of the 20th century. This next piece by Cummings is called As Freedom is a Breakfast Food. As freedom is a breakfast food, or truth can live with right and wrong, or molehills are from mountains made, long enough and just so long will being pay the rent of seam, and genius please the talent gag, and water most encourage flame as hat racks into peach trees grow or hopes dance best on bald men's hair and every finger is a toe and every courage is a fear long enough and just so long Will the impure think all things pure, and hornets wail by children stung? Or as the seeing are the blind, and robins never welcome spring, nor flat folk prove their world is round, nor dinksters die at break of dawn, and commons rare, and millstones float, long enough and just so long, tomorrow will not be too late. Worms are the words, but joys the voice. Down shall go which, and up come who. Breasts will be breasts, thighs will be thighs. Deeds cannot dream what dreams can do. Time is a tree, this life one leaf. But love is the sky, and I am for you just so long and long enough. So here you are in the city with a shattered heart, it seems. Though when you arrived, you thought you'd have the holiday of your dreams 
You'd cry yourself to sleep if you could But you've been awake all night Well, here's something you need to do At the first hint of morning light Walk right across the deserted city To the boulevard Amsterdam And wait there For what the citizens here Refer to as the breakfast tram Climb on board, you'll soon manage Find at the far end of the carriage The most wonderful buffet There's everything you'd want to eat You can take a feast back to your seat Whatever you can fit onto your tray And the mist on the window will start to fade as the sun climbs higher in the sky and you can sit back with your cafe ole while outside the waking city flatters by so things didn't quite meet expectations But you're bound to conclude upon reflection There's no reason you should give a damn Just treat yourself to a cinnamon pancake Very soon you'll forget your heartache When you have breakfast Along the seats Your night of heartbreak Will soon seem far away And even though you're a stranger They'll make you feel Right at home They'll be offering to refill your coffee They won't have you Sitting there alone They've seen many others just like you And each one of them has had it happen too So just enjoy your scrambled eggs and ham Just treat yourself to a cinnamon pancake Very soon you'll forget your heartache 
you have breakfast on the morning tram. Even though you're a stranger, they'll make you feel right at home. They'll be offering to refill your coffee. They won't have you sitting there alone. Cause they've seen many others just like you. One of them has had it happen too. So just enjoy your fresh croissant and jam. And don't neglect the Belgian waffles. You'll soon forget all your troubles. When you have breakfast on the Breakfast on the Morning Tram. And before that, E.E. E. Cummings reading as freedom is a breakfast food. You are listening to The Bohemian Beat, a show about poetry. Now it's time for our segment called Your Special Poem, a roving audio project that invites the community to share their special poems with us on The Bohemian Beat. We have today Lily Jake and Sean sharing their special poems and telling us a little bit about what drew them to these poems. The Salt and Pepper Shakers by Ron Padgett, who's a contemporary American poet. My wife and I have been meaning to buy a set of salt and pepper shakers for the past several years. We have one set which we carry back and forth between kitchen and table. For some reason, we have never gotten around to buying the second set. Apparently, it isn't quite important enough for us to do, but is important enough to make us think we ought to buy them at some point. Where's the salt and pepper, I am heard frequently to ask. Oh, they're in the kitchen, my wife answers wearily, at which point our son says, OK, I know, and goes to get the salt and pepper. And so we do not remember to buy the second set. If someone were to come up to us on the street and offer to give us a set right there on the spot, we would exclaim, it's exactly what we need, it's amazing. But no one does. I went outside a few minutes ago to check. Instead, the streets were occupied by very bland people with no interest in giving me some salt and pepper shakers. Perhaps our manana attitude is caused by the satisfying beauty of the ones we do have. They are of the plain old diner variety, glass in vertical facets, with aluminium caps, transparent identical twins, except one is labelled moi and the other two. We bought them for 29 cents in Arkansas in 1967. They evoke home fries and coffee, and I have no doubt that there is someone who just by looking at them can describe the society that produced them, just as you can read this and know me. So this is a prose poem which stayed in my mind when I was 
going to select a poem and when I looked at it again I thought it's because it's a prose poem it doesn't feel like a conventional poem but what I liked about it was that it's about a domestic moment and so it's like an extended metaphor the salt and pepper shakers are something it's nostalgic for this couple it's uh, it's a little exchange that they have every day about something so ordinary and it's about all the little things that we put up with that symbolise our day-to-day life and which are silly on the face of them when you stop to look at them, but we all have these habits that that just run our lives and are part of the exchange we have between people. And it says something about their marriage who, as this couple, like the two salt and pepper shakers, but it says something about their history together and there's something very endearing and poignant about it. So that's why I like If by Jack Prolatsky. If a baseball breaks a window, does it cause the window pain? If it rains upon a lion, do the droplets water main? If you try to wring a lemon, can you hear the lemon peel? If you dream that you are fishing, is your dream of fishing real? If an ogre is unhappy, does it utter giant size? If you catch a booby snooping, are you sure the booby prize? If you bleach a bag of garbage, do you turn the garbage pale? If you tell a horse a story, could it be a ponytail? If you wish to paint a whistle, will you make the whistle blue? If you're stuck inside a chimney, do you suffer from the flu? If you sketch an escalator, do you practice drawing stairs? If you separate two rabbits, are you splitting hairs? If, you filling, if you're filling in a donut, do you make the donut whole? If you're posing as a muffin, are you acting out a role? If your conversation sparkles, do you thank your diamond mind? If you followed by a grizzly, do you have a bear behind? I like If by Jack Prelutsky because it's a very um, nicely written poem and it's great how Jack Prelutsky's used the double meanings. Um, For example, in the first sentence, if a baseball breaks a window, does it cause the window pain? By using the idea of if you break the window using a baseball... And could it cause the window pain? So you're using an inanimate object to to say if it could be having it could be experiencing pain, and then also by saying in the last two words the window pain as a literal window pain, and in in another example, if an ogre is unhappy, does it utter giant size? You're using the idea of because an ogre is a very big sort of animal and then you, because it's like a giant and then in the second sentence does it utter giant size. It's relating the ogre with, in literal terms with the, because it's giant and also because it utters giant size. My name is Sean, and this is my special poem. It's called Golden Leaves, 
and it was written by Tom Kelly. The walls were of rough chalk cobbles scooped up from fields where, if left, they had the strength to crack ploughs. At night the shutters closed, but the windows wide open. The stones caught the light as it tried to crawl away from the lamp to the ceiling, and the barn that was my bedroom now would be full of stories. They were not read from books. They were told only once, as though you were piling leaves, golden leaves, like the gilt of old pages, and I would only see the shape of the story as you reached the end, how your pile of golden leaves had transformed into treasure. Falling asleep, your leaves would gently blow into my mind, and I would fight pirates until the sun came up, cross desert islands until the sand of my mind made my feet feel sore. This poem is special to me because it was written by my son as a young man, as a present given to his, his mother at Christmas. Now, perhaps it would help if I, I start with just a little background. Right from when uh, our only son Tom was a toddler playing in the sand, we'd spend most of our summer holidays in a very old stone-built cottage in the French countryside in the Charente region of France. The walls were almost a metre thick and made out of uh, limestone rocks and stones from the surrounding land. These stones surface endlessly in the local fields, much to the frustration of farmers. One of the rooms in this old place had a very high apex ceiling with rough-cut old oak pegged roof timbers and exposed internal stone walls. Not surprisingly, we called it the barn room. It is such a wonderful space with big shuttered windows that open out onto the hillside garden and look south over a beautiful valley below. We loved it so much that we decided to use it as a bedroom rather than as a summer lounge, and that is the room where my son, Tom, actually slept, and is the room that's evoked in the poem Golden Leaves. It was a place of many stories over the years, and it's the place that's very much evoked um, in his poem. It was actually, as I said, given as a, a tender Christmas present in, the, in 2012 to his mom. Hillary, and it's a simple but deeply felt expression of gratitude, a thank you, if you will, from the child in the man, and the man himself for the precious gift that his mom gave him in nurturing a love for words and language and stories, very much a gift of golden leaves that keep turning, that keep giving, an endless treasure of, of precious gems for a lifetime. 
A thank you for the love, the care, the countless happy hours spent sharing the joy of words and the life of the imagination is a strong emotional resonance for me because I know how much it meant to my wife, Hilary, to both of us. We didn't know then that it would be our last Christmas together and since my wife became seriously ill in the spring and sadly died before the end of that summer. Telling stories to one's children is so important and that's another reason why I chose the poem. It's a wonderful experience for both child and parent and it's something you can and I believe should do long before a child ever starts to read. Children also really love to be a part of the story and so there was often a character, a person, an animal called Tom in the stories or ditties that we made up or adapted. We'd often incorporate events of the day and, and things we'd done together or seen together. So not only does it stimulate the life of the imagination, but it creates a very special bond between parent and child. And of course, bedtime is a very special time, a launch pad, if you like, to the land of Nod. Nothing is more delightful than drifting off to a story or a poem being read to you by someone you love and who loves you, and rarely did a night pass without a story, however short it might sometimes be, a golden leaf would always be turned. segment your special poem thank you to lily jake and sean for sharing their special poem with us on the bohemian beat credits to machine for the music and concept and audio contents provided by rob osborne who works with the red room company i hope you've enjoyed listening to the show today i'll be back next week same beat time same bohemian frequency and check out the website thebohemianbeat.com for more information. We will end with a track by Mop Mop called Locomotive. Thank you for joining me on the Bohemian Beat. I'm ready. <laughs> Welcome on a bumpy choo-choo train.
Like a train. 